0: kind of sat sherry and i uh, one section over from all the students they're standing and and jumping and cheering and 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 yelling and chanting uh, excited about everything that's going on in the field and i'm i'm looking around at, at those students and i'm watching the players on the field and, and i'm thinking i wonder if they uh they think they're experiencing or participating in their good old days right now i'm kind of listening to this guy a few rows behind me and i'm pretty sure that he was doing everything he could to sort of reach back into the good old days and, and his glory days and and i just wondered i wonder if these kids think they're in the middle of the glory days and i thought well you know w- what would be my glory days and i kind of look back at my life and i'm not sure i can pick out a time where those were the good old days right but Jesus, as he's preaching this sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's te- teaching to this audience. And if you pulled his audience as he's pre- preaching this message we've been looking at, and you asked them, When were the glory days? When were the good old days? They would point back in Israel's history to this time when King David was on the throne. And and Israel was sort of at its height of military power and political influence. And and even King David was a guy who Scripture describes as a man after God's own heart. And so in so many ways, even their relationship with their creator, their God, their, their influence that God had over the nation was sort of at its pinnacle as well and and for sure jesus audience would have pointed back to king david as sort of the glory days the good old days but even in the good old days and maybe that's why i can't look back in my life and and pinpoint yeah these are the good old days because even in the good old days you know there's trouble that can exist and there's trouble that can creep in and influence and find a way to to make a difference in our life on one such occasion King David was was hanging out at his at his home at his palace and these homes were built with flat roofs and and whether you were very wealthy like the king of Israel or whether you were not as wealthy like some of his neighbors you probably had this flat kind of roof that you would do uh, hang out on to sort of uh, be allowed to be a little cooler in that warm climate and all of those things in the evening and and so king david was on his roof and he was kind of gazing out at his uh kingdom and he saw one of his neighbors across the way on their roof as well and this young lady was bathing on her roof and and he saw this woman and realized man she's a beautiful woman and and he called some of his servants and he said what can you tell me about this this neighbor and they said well she's her name is Bathsheba she's married to one of your soldiers this guy by the name of Uriah and King David said I want you to invite her to the palace tonight I want you to bring her to the palace and his servants go and and they do that and they bring Bathsheba to the palace David sleeps with Bathsheba that night uh, Bathsheba goes home and sometime later sends word back to the king I, i'm pregnant and david finds himself in this predicament where he's allowed his thoughts to sort of rule in his mind for a while and his imagination to get carried away and that thought and that imagination has led to sin and now he's in this predicament where he's got to figure out what do i do now and he decides to sort of keep the bad uh decisions rolling and he decides i'm going to cover up this mistake this sin that has that i've committed in my life and so he says hey i want you to send for her husband uriah and bring him back home and when he comes back home you know he'll he'll be able to stay in his house and he'll he'll uh uh, sleep with his wife and and as far as anybody will know this baby will be uriah's baby and so king david does just this and he invites uriah back home And Uriah arrives at home, but uh, he says, look, my my fellow soldiers, the the men that I'm serving with are still in battle. And while they're in battle, I'm not going to enjoy, you know, the comforts of my home. And so Uriah sleeps on his front porch that night. And when David hears that Uriah had slept outside, that he hadn't uh, gone home really and slept with his wife he said well we've, we've got to work a little harder at this and so tell Uriah not to go back to the battle yet tell him that we're going to throw a party and he's invited to the party at the palace and and the servants tell Uriah this Uriah comes to the dinner party and and King David does everything he can to make sure that Uriah has too much to drink and assuming that when he has too much to drink when they send him home he'll go home and and as far as he knows the baby will be his but Uriah, even though he's had too much to drink, has his drinking hasn't uh, suffered his principles, and so he sleeps on the front porch again. And King David's left with the question, what do I do? And he continues in that sort of uh, downhill slide of bad decisions. He decides, that, well, I'm going to have to uh, figure out how to handle this. And, and so he, he tells his men, "I take Uriah back to the battle, and here's a message I want to give you to come to the commander the message that david sends to the commander in the battle is i want you to take uriah along with some other men into the most fierce part of the battle and when you're there have everybody fall back but uriah leave uriah there and let the battle kind of take its course and so david's men follow his instructions and they go with uriah into the middle the most fierce part of the battle and when they arrive everyone but uriah falls back uriah has no clue that everyone's leaving And they take off and fall back and retreat, and Uriah is left there to die in the middle of battle. David, because of a thought that he allows to sort of camp out in his mind, he makes all of these bad decisions, and he ends up, at the end of the story, a murderer. All because of this thought life that David allowed to sort of build and, and play in his mind. And, and, and certainly if we look back at Israel's glory days and, and to King David and this circumstance, we, we learn that we should absolutely pay attention to our thought life. And Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 to 30 uh, two reasons that we need to pay special attention to our thought life. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. We're going to take a look at verses 27 to 30 this morning. Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 to 30. Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 to 30. This is what God's word says. to go into hell and so jesus offers these two reasons that we need to pay special attention to our thought life reason number one is that sin is totally and completely a matter of the heart verse 27 says you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery we we started talking last week about this series of six sort of uh, reasons or circumstances or or uh Topics where Jesus is going to address in the same format, and and so last week he starts in the same way. You have heard that it was said. The format that Jesus uses here and the these six subjects is that he's going to talk about God's law. He's going to talk about the command, and he's going to explain what that is, and then he's going to offer some clarification about the command. He's sort of giving his own input into what that command is and what it means, and then finally he's going to offer some practical advice on how to follow out, you know, live out his input in that command. So if you look at last week's uh, topic, it was murder. And so the command was, you have heard it said, do not uh, murder and and so that's the command that jesus talks about and and then he's going to clarify that right and and so he he says but i tell you that that even if you're angry with a brother it's the same thing as murder and so jesus offers this clarification and then he he gives us some practical advice doesn't he he says hey if if being angry with a brother is the same thing as murder then you had better settle that disagreement quickly and so even when you're on your way to court you know you settle that disagreement Settle it before you go seek somebody else to kind of intervene in that. You need to settle that disagreement quickly. He, he would say as well that even if you're in the middle of something important like worship, as something as important as worshiping God, you need to go and you need to seek uh, reconciliation with this relationship. And we talked about how that difference in that, that uh that argument and that anger in a horizontal relationship can affect our vertical relationship with God. And, and so Jesus offers this practical advice to settle those matters quickly and to, to leave worship and to, to get your relationships, those horizontal relationships straight, uh, so that your vertical relationship uh, can continue to grow and can continue to make a difference and while well, jesus begins in that same format he's going to lay out the command here you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery and it just made me think what what is our what problems do we run into with just this command why does jesus have to begin here and then offer clarification these are pretty simple ideas aren't they they're, they're pretty clear cut why do we run into so much trouble with The commands of God, and I thought, well, maybe there's a couple of reasons. All right, maybe, maybe it's because we pay so much attention to the command that we lose sight of the commander. I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus pours himself into the law, that he's, he comes to, to fill up that law. Because when we focus only on that command, sometimes we can lose sight of the, of the spirit behind that command. We can lose sight of even the person, the, the God who is issuing that command. We can be so focused on the instructions that we lose sight of the instructor, which is really who and what we ought to be paying attention to. There's a story that's told uh, about Jesus in John chapter 8, and the, I, I think even though scholars might disagree about whether the story shows up in the most original manuscripts, it's still a story that reflects on who Jesus is and how important this idea of, of going to the commander and not being focused solely on the command is. It's a story that's told about a man and woman who are caught in adultery in this crowd. They, they pull this woman out of that that situation and they drag her into the street and they say jesus what should we do because the command says that we should execute her john chapter 8 says that jesus kneels to the ground and he starts to write on the ground and and uh, we're not sure what he writes on the ground i think there are some better explanations than others and some more fun explanations than others but whatever the case jesus is writing on the ground and as he does that he says hey whoever is without sin you know he should pick up the first rock and throw and as Jesus teaches this principle, he kind of points back to himself. He points back to the creator, the fact that every one of us is in desperate need of a savior, that every one of us is a, is a sinner, that we're all guilty. As he does that, the, everyone drops their, their stones, and Jesus tells that woman to, hey, go and, and uh, you know, discontinue this life of sin, stop sinning. Jesus points everyone back to the commander Uh, sometimes we get so focused on the command that we can lose sight of him we can lose sight of of that relationship that's most important sometimes I think when we focus only on the command we, we start to to try to sort of rationalize it even to the point where we're so focused on the command that we're looking for different loopholes this is part of the reason that jesus offers his clarification you know we talked last week that you have heard it said he, he didn't say you read it in the in the prophets in the law because uh, he's talking about what has been sort of added and detracted from that command that over the over the years you know scholars and religious leaders had studied that command so much and they 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 decided that some of these are really difficult to live out and we've got to figure out how do we do this and they'd studied that command so much that they'd they'd figured out ways to sort of navigate around it that they they discovered and they exercised and they taught the loopholes that they figured out to sort of to be able to live under the law and sort of go around the most difficult parts of that law for each one of those folks. You know, I, I couldn't help but think about uh, that that idea that this week. As I, I don't know about some of you, but I spent a, a, a little bit of time listening to some of the Supreme Court uh, nomination hearings, and and uh, it, man, that's just a disaster, isn't it? It's just a mess. I I mean, it, it, I don't I don't care what you think about it, really. I don't care what side you're on or any of that. You just look at that, and your heart has to break for the entire situation. It's awful. It's out of control. It's a a terrible situation. And when we think about this command, do not commit adultery, you you know, we really, you kind of go back to the beginning and you realize that God has a plan for sex, and that plan for uh, sex is to be participated in and exercised in inside of this marriage relationship. In any time, any time, in any way, that we kind of loophole or navigate ourselves around god's plan and his command for that relationship then there are going to be consequences you know and, and what stood out to me and this is not a statement of of guilt or innocence for anyone involved in that but what stood out to me as i listened to the testimony as i thought about the situation is that for decades and decades In decades in our culture, we've loopholed ourselves, we've navigated ourselves around God's plan for sex. We've said, we've boiled it down, we've made this relationship, a sexual relationship, just a transaction between two people and nothing more. And when we said, okay, this is what it is, and we've ignored God's command, and we've ignored his plan for sex, and then when we've we've chosen to participate in our loopholes when we've navigated ourselves around it we then realize whoa wait a second this relationship affects me in a way that's bigger and stronger and more profound whether negatively or positively or whatever than a simple transaction between two people it it affects me in a way that's bigger and more profound than just a contract And that hearing was just a just an illustration of the consequences that we're now paying for loopholing our way around God's plan in our lives. When we focus only on the command to the point where we build in these loopholes, then we, we desperately need Jesus' clarity. We des- desperately need for him to fill up that law, and that's what he offers in verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said, okay, God has this plan for sex inside of this relationship of marriage, in anything outside of that relationship sin you're guilty you're guilty of of adultery you're guilty of sexual sin when any it's participated in any way outside of that this relationship if you go back and you look at at how God establishes marriage and what the new testament teaches about marriage God says okay in this marriage relationship you're you're accepting you're choosing somebody to love them like Jesus loves the church you're choosing somebody to to submit to each other to place them above any other relationship forever accepting our relationship with jesus they're first they're most important above any other relationship and in any way when you loophole and navigate yourself around that whatever it looks like however it happens a physical activity it's a thought life that gets out of control it's our emotions that are run away with it doesn't matter when we put somebody else ahead of this most important person in our life then we're guilty we're guilty of this sexual sin we're guilty of adultery Jesus says you know it's no wonder when Jesus makes this kind of clarifications, that, that monks in the Middle Ages decided, you know, whoa, this is, this is a big deal, and, and I've I got to figure out how to solve this. And so they would, they would literally move to the country, like to the wilderness, and they would build a tower. They essentially built these very simple but kind of tall tree houses to kind of hang out on and live for extended periods of time. They thought, if I get further, far enough away and I'm sort of above everything, then my eyes won't see, my mind won't wander, and I will be able to live a life free from sin. You know, it sounds like a, kind of a, a pretty good idea, especially if you like tree houses. But the problem with, uh, for me is I would go out to the country, I would build myself this this treehouse, I'd be hanging out in it, and I'd be looking across the field and I'd see, man, that guy down the road, he's got a little, that treehouse looks pretty nice. I think his treehouse is a little nicer than mine. Why don't I have as nice a treehouse as he has? You know, I would find a way to kind of wander from God's plan because sin is absolutely, completely, and totally a matter of the heart. That's why he, Jesus talks about the eyes so much here when he talks about sin. It, it, temptation works that way, right? A, a thought sort of enters our mind, and then we allow that, that thought like David did to sort of camp out, and our imagination takes over, and we begin to play out the what-ifs in our minds. And as we play out the what-ifs in our minds, then we start to justify why that, those what-ifs are really okay. And as we justify that situation, then more likely than not, we'll go ahead and live out that thought and that imagination and that justification and even in that description you think well that's okay except the whole process is really sin isn't it at the very beginning as soon as we let that thought camp out You see, we could dissect this verse and we could talk about how the word looks in the Greek is is to look and to look and to look. It's to go back and to go back and to go back. Just like King David, when he was on the roof, he had not sinned, right? When he looked out at his neighbor who happened to be bathing across the way, he had not sinned. It's when he allowed that thought to sort of camp out and his imagination to run off with the what ifs that sin magnified and, and, and sort of camped out in his life. And when we exercise those thoughts and those, those that imagination, then that sin leads to, to lawlessness. Jesus, or, or John describes it like this in 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 4. John chapter uh, 3, verse 4 says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And so, just like King David sort of... Uh, first thought leads to this this road of destruction then then our thought life can get run away with and carried away with and we find ourselves in this whole situation of of complete lawlessness and even if we just camped out with that thought life for a while we realize that that's enough and that romans chapter 3 verse 23 teaches us that we're all guilty and we all fall short of the glory of god And we realize that all through scripture, God's law teaches us over and over and over again. The prophets, New Testament teaches us that there is a real problem with sin. The prophet Isaiah said that, described that problem like this in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So when we sin, this creates a division between us and God. This is a very real problem. It's such a big problem and such a real problem that Jesus needs to offer a solution to this sin. And reason number two that we ought to pay attention to our thought life is that there is only one solution to sin. Look at verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now we're going to talk about this practical advice. Remember that's the Jesus format here. We're going to look at the command and then the clarification and then the practical advice. And we're going to talk about this practical advice that jesus offers here in verses 29 to 30 but first i want you to notice that jesus talks about the 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 consequence to sin he said man it's better to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand than for your whole body to be thrown into sin see the prophet isaiah talked about the separation that sin creates in our life and and sin divides us from god It keeps us away from him. And Jesus talks about this eternal separation in the terms of hell. Jesus believed in and taught this physical, eternal separation from God. That's a real problem for each one of us if Romans chapter 3, verse 23 is true. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Jesus says that we need a solution. And he begins this conversation about the solution with some practical advice as long as you're okay with practical being kind of a relative term, right? Because Jesus says, hey, if, you, if you're having these lustful thoughts, if you're looking at somebody, something, then you better gouge that eye out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, you'd better cut that off, that hand off. Now that's really extreme, huh? I mean, that is radical advice not so much practical advice and i think it's pretty clear that jesus is using hyperbole to describe this practical application but it's not enough to just sort of have this matter of a fact matter of fact conversation because the problem of sin is true and real and every one of us has that problem and so if that problem exists for every one of us then we had certainly we should certainly approach sin in a radical fashion We should be radical about what we surround ourselves with. Uh, that's kind of the situation here, right? If, if that thought life it, it camps out and that, that what we see, it kind of makes its place in our head and we allow it to camp out and then, then it causes these situations. We should, be, we should be radical about what we surround ourselves with. I had a text message from a buddy of mine from college and he said, do you remember this? And, and I felt really bad because my response was, uh, not really. You know, and it just reminded me, man, it's been a long time since I've been in college there's one story though that I remember and I've told before it's a silly silly story it was my sophomore year I was living in the dorms and and some freshmen moved in down the hallway and there's one kid in particular uh, his freshman year who was kind of shy and and didn't didn't talk to anyone very much it seemed like in fact I only heard him say this one phrase and I don't to this day I'm not sure what it means but over and over and over this young man would use this phrase moger you could ask him hey what's the weather like and he would say Moger, And I thought, this is ridiculous, you know, read a book, you know, figure something out, have a conversation. He would say this over and over and over again, and pretty soon on this small campus of like 300 college students, you know, this caught on, and people started to use this in, in all their conversations, and it sort of bewildered me. And I thought, I we're in college for crying out loud. You know, we we maybe ought to be able to walk around and have a conversation that included something more than ogre. And I decided I'm not going to use this ever. This is a fad that has to die. I will not promote this. We're sitting in the dorm room one night, you know, studying, and, and we're talking and, and somebody, we're joking around and, and kind of being st- stupid guys and and uh, so this kid is kind of pestering me, teasing me or whatever, and, and he says something, you know, about my mom, I don't know what we were talking about, but, but I just remember thinking, man, I, I, I need to be smart here, I need to be clever, I need to have some kind of comeback that that kind of levels the playing field here and so my mind is racing as i'm i'm trying to come up with just the right words to say and as i'm sort of that thought is percolating my mouth is working before my mind has caught up and these words come out of my mouth these sort of words and i say moger i mean why i was committed to not doing that why would those words that phrase come out of my mouth because the principles taught in luke chapter 6 verse 45 are true That the good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. In other words, what we're pouring in is eventually going to make its way out in our thoughts, in our actions, in our speech, in our conversation and so we had better be radical about what we are surrounding ourselves with. You... you, Take that idea in the, in the terms of uh, adultery and, and, and sex and sexual sin, and our world is, is covered with all kinds of pitfalls here. You think about pornography, and the stats that, that are out are just are sort of horrifying. We're not going to spend a bunch of time here, but know that in the United States, and, and when s- people are surveyed about this stuff, 65% of men say that they viewed pornography in the last month. 35% of women have said they viewed pornography in the last month. When that same survey is conducted inside the church, the stats aren't much different. There's a variance of three to five percent. It's the results are nearly exactly the same. The average age of a boy in the United States to view pornography for the first time, 11 years old, 11 years old what we surround ourselves with, what we're pouring into us, when we look at all the issues we have in our country today with sexism and sexuality and marriage and just relationships and everything, man, what we pour in, the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. The good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart, for it's out of the overflow Right? What we pour in absolutely matters. We had sh- certainly should be radical about what we're surrounding ourselves with. We should be radical about the, the time that we spend. And, you know, it, it's no coincidence that the story of King David and his sin with Bathsheba begins that when his army was off at war and David was at home in Jerusalem when he wasn't where he should have been. You know, there's, there's a little bit of truth to those, those idle hands kind of ideas that we need to commit our time to, to stuff uh, being in relationship with other believers and small groups and studying because what we pour into ourselves and, and participating in worship consistently, because what we pour into ourselves matter. It's not just the negative stuff that finds its way out into our life and our decisions. Right? The good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart. We should be radical about our time. Ultimately, though, these, even this practical advice that Jesus offers here isn't enough. And the fact that Jesus is preaching this and that Jesus is here points to the one real solution to sin. That while we were still sinners, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, Jesus died in our place. That Jesus is the only way that we can begin and and have that relationship with God. John chapter 14 verse 6 says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through him. And so we need, we are each one in desperate need of a Savior. When Peter preaches this message at Pentecost, you know, the crowd, Scripture says they're cut to the heart, and they ask him, what should we do? And Peter replied in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, by saying, repent. Repent is a Bible word. It means to be radical about sin in your life. It means to change direction. To be radical about what you're pouring in and what's coming out. It means to be radical about your time, to be willing to remove that stuff in your life, to pluck that eye out or cut that hand off. You know, take those radical steps. You know, when when you think about pornography and just the junk that sometimes we pour into our our hearts and minds through uh, technology and devices, uh, you have to be radical with that stuff. You know, if you, if you think it's too cumbersome or too aggressive to check what your kids are looking at on their phones or their tablets or their, their, their computers or TVs or whatever, man, you need to be radical about that. If you have issues with that, you need to use, at the very least, you need to use the technology with the gifts that it offers in these areas, you know, set the, set the passwords, set the protections. You know, our Netflix account, the only person in our family who knows the password to the Netflix account is my wife, Sherry. Right? That's not because I'm such an evil person, huh? I don't think. It's just because, man, we have the, we can be radical about this. We can protect ourselves a little bit. And we ought to do that. You know, we ought to be willing to be uh, just inconvenienced because that blocks all kinds of stuff, Right? You know, for instance, this, this series is under review, and, and I heard that there's this football documentary on Netflix, and one of the football coaches on this documentary just lies about his whole credentials, and I thought, you know, for some of this stuff that we're talking about, I, maybe some scenes or some clips from this uh, Netflix documentary might be good, and so I, I try to find it on Netflix, and it's blocked, so evidently I couldn't show many clips, right? It's blocked. I couldn't get there. And, and so I could have called and asked for the password, but I'm lazy. I just thought, I'll find a different illustration. This probably isn't going to work anyway. You know, it's inconvenient. But Jesus is talking about gouging out an eye or cutting off a hand, being radical about sin. Repent, change direction. And then say yes to Jesus. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because I know, I, I feel guilty for all kinds of ways, okay? The first of, of, of all is, you know, Paul said, you know, I'm the biggest sinner and I would, I'm certainly in the running with him. Okay, so I don't mean for this morning to be like some preacher shouting at you. All right, but every one of us, if scripture is true, every one of us falls short of the glory of God. And we're dealing with this issue. And this morning, I just want you to know that there's a solution to that sin, and that solution is a relationship with Jesus, the forgiveness that he offers, the newness that he offers through a life with him. That we say yes to him, and we're forgiven, and we begin a relationship with him, and the Holy Spirit moves in, and he makes us new from the inside out. And there are so many ups and downs in my life. In the life of King David, there were so many ups and downs. He was a peasant boy who was selected to be the next king of israel by a prophet he goes off to to bring some bread and cheese to his brother serving in the army and he ends up defeating the philistine uh premier soldier this giant named goliath with a few rocks he celebrated as a war hero uh, thousands of people chanting his name He's experienced all of these ups. He's experienced some downs too, by the way, because these, these thousands of people chanting his name gives way to, a, to a, a, a delusional king hunting him down. He ends up a murderer who loses his son. He ends up wanting to, wanting to acknowledge God as his God and to build God's temple only for God to say, no, there's too much blood on your hands, but you can do the fundraising. I mean, so many ups and so many downs. And I look back and I can't pinpoint the glory days in my life. I can look and see the ups and downs, and sometimes I have answers for why they're ups, and sometimes I have answers for why they're downs. And much of the time, I don't have any for either. But I do know that I need, just desperately in my life, the answer, the one solution to sin, a relationship with Jesus. He's offering that solution to you. He's offering that relationship to you. Don't leave this morning without asking me, somebody you've seen on stage, the person who invited you, beginning that conversation, how can I start this relationship with him? Let's stand and worship him together.